I want you to take your Bibles. I want you to turn to Psalm 73. We're going to turn to Psalm 73 tonight. Psalm 73, we're going to talk tonight about the power of long-term vision. We're going to talk about long-term vision and looking down the road. And instead of just living, living for the moment, looking down the road. We need to do this. I want you to hear this from Scripture tonight. Uh, you ever heard of faith? That's how you live. You know, that's how you live. Now, I know that's how you live because the Bible said the just shall live by faith. And you and I are different. We're a weird, weirdo, different breed. We live by faith. And if we're going to live by faith, faith always takes a long-term vision. Faith, faith takes a long-term view of things. And faith looks down the road. Matter of fact, the definition of faith in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. So that tells you faith's looking out yonder. Faith can see things that nobody else can see, the evidence of things not yet seen. And uh, that, that's what faith is. To live by faith is like it. Right, everybody in here has got a, what they call a worldview. Everybody's got a worldview. That's sort of a hot topic these days. And your worldview is how you view the world. It's your, it's your opinion of the world. It's how you see things in the world. And uh, let me make an announcement. Nobody's right, 100%. Only, the, only heaven is right. And we all get these different views about life. And everybody's got a different worldview. But uh, you need a biblical worldview. And your worldview needs to be looking way out yonder. It needs to see things other people can't see. Now, I want to ask you a question. Why are Christians so upset today? This is starting to agitate me. Excuse me. It's starting to uh, bother me. I'm bothered. That's what preachers say. Can't be pissed. Can't be ill. They've got to be bothered. Why are believers so upset today? I'm just... Christian news sites, these Christian leaders, they're just wringing their hands. They're upset. They're talking about how bad everything is. You don't own a Bible? You didn't know this was coming? You know why people are so upset today? They don't have a biblical worldview. They don't have faith. They're not walking by faith. They're walking by the newspapers. They're walking by what's going on around them right now. You and I weren't called to do that. That's unscriptural to live like that. And I'm just stunned. I'll be honest with you, I'm shocked at the upset, bothered, talking about it, Christian periodicals and, and news sites, all they do is just, it's bad, it's bad. Yeah, he told you it's coming, Doc. What, do you think he's lying? Well, we're not supposed to be talking about how bad it is. And we're not supposed to be wringing our hands these days. All righty. We're supposed to be living different these days. All right, let me tell you, have you ever heard of the book of Proverbs? Proverbs, very important book in the Bible. A man told me years ago, you want a great life, read Proverbs every day. There's 31 Proverbs. That's one for every day of the month. Proverbs is the book of wisdom. And let me tell you something. T- technology changes, time changes, but what never changes throughout history? Wisdom never changes. It takes the same thing to get along with your wife today that it did for a caveman. It takes the same thing to raise children today that it did in 1850. And Proverbs is the book of wisdom or, or how to live life skillfully with people. And Proverbs contrasts two people. Who are the two people the book of Proverbs always goes back and forth between? The wise man and the fool. The wise man and the fool. The wise man. And the Proverbs, Proverbs, the word proverb means short saying of wisdom. And all, all through Proverbs it says the wise man does this. The fool does this. The wise man does this. The fool does this. And it contrasts a wise person who has a great life versus a fool who falls in a pit. All right, one of the marks of a wise man in the book of Proverbs is this. 
The wise man, let me quote Proverbs 4, the wise man ponders the path of his feet. He looks down the road. He thinks way ahead of things. He doesn't just live for the moment. Contrast that to what the proverb says about a fool. The Bible says about a fool, he considers not his future, therefore he suffers. He never looks down the road. He can never think beyond today or tomorrow. So do you see the difference between a wise person and a fool? A wise man is looking down the road. Now, he doesn't live down the road. Let me tell you something. This is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. We live in the moment, but don't you dare live for the moment. You live for the moment, you're going to suffer. But a fool can't see beyond tomorrow. He never looks down the road. He just thinks about, what about right now? That's a foolish man. But a wise man ponders the path of his feet and looks way down the road. That's the theme of the book of Proverbs. Well, the Bible teaches this, that if if we're going to be a people of faith, we've got to look for more than just today. What's my supper going to be tonight? One of the great verses, well, Hebrews chapter 11 talks about people who, they lived a great life all the way to the end. One of them was a guy named Noah. A lot of people that Noah grew up and went to high school with didn't do that well at the end. None of them did. Well, this is what the Bible said about Noah. This is verse, verse 7 of Hebrews 11. Noah was warned by God of things not yet seen that hadn't happened yet. And it moved him with godly fear, and he prepared an ark, and he saved his family. Why did Noah finish so well and his family finish so well? Because he looked down the road. God showed him some things that were coming down the road. And he looked down the road, and he prepared for things that were coming down the road. All right, I want us to look at the power of a long-term vision. Now listen, you, in this day we're living in, and from here till Jesus gets back, you're going to need this. And we need to shift gears about the way we're thinking today. You don't change anything until you change your mind. The Bible says you, the way you change everything in your life, you've got to change your mind first. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says this, be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. Change the way you think, and then you can experience everything good there is. Before you can have a better family, a better life, a better belt line, a better budget, a better anything, you got to change the way you think about stuff first. You got to change your mind first before anything else can change. I want us to look in Psalm 73. All right, this is a picture of a man who changed the way he thought. Halfway through this Psalm, he's going to change the way he sees things. You're going to see it. And I want you to see the difference it made in his life by changing the way he saw things and looking down the road. Psalm 73. Now, let me tell you about this Psalm 73. This is a godly man. This is a good man. See if this doesn't remind you what's going on in Christianity there in faith there in the world today. Verse 2, Psalm 73, 2. As for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. What's he saying? I'm watching wicked people do so good today, and it's making me mad. And not only making me mad, I'm mad about what they got. I'm watching the wicked prosper and do so good. And he's fixing to say it. How come I love God and serve God and evil people are doing better than I am? And it's upsetting him. It's bothering him because of what he sees going on around him. Evil's flourishing him. Verse 4, there's no pain in their death. Their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Their pride serves as their necklace. Arrogance is their necklace. You ever thought about this? You ever heard of bondage? A lot of people, the Bible talks about being in bondage or being in chains. And we've turned our chains into jewelry. We're proud of our bondage today. We've turned our chains into jewelry. That's what he says. He said, they're proud of their bondage. They're bragging on how in bondage they are. 
Violence covers them like a garment. Verse 7, their eyes bulge with abundance. You know what that means? They're cocky. They're cocky because they're so evil and doing so good. They have more than heart could wish. They're arrogant and speak wickedly. They speak loftily, yada, yada. All right, I want you to look with me in verse 12. He said this, Behold, these are the ungodly, always at ease. They increase in riches. Now I want you to watch what he says in verse 13. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've plagued and I've chastened everyone. What did he say? I try to do right. I try to treat people good. I try to obey God and live by the Bible. And I'm suffering. And then people live like the devil and look how good they got it. Is that not what you're hearing in our land today? This guy's bothered by what he sees going on around him right now. This is in the scripture several places. And this is an attitude that says all he can do is just look around him at the evil. And his eyes are fixed on the garbage and the wickedness and the newspapers and the neighbors that are acting crazy. And here's what he's saying. I'm tithing. I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to do what's right. And look how good they got it. This guy's living for the, he's got a short-term view, doesn't he? And he's, and he's ill about it. And he's, he's bothered about it. He's upset about the thing. Now watch this. Verse 16. The Bible said this. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. That's what I see so often. Because brother, I just can't stand what's going on in our land today. It's just tearing me up what's going on around me. Why is it tearing you up? Why are we letting what's going on around us have... Can you see what this man's saying? The garbage that's going on around me is having such a perverse effect on me. It's got me upset. I lay awake at night and think about it. I was talking with a man not long ago, and he said, this stuff just tears me up. I lay in the bed and think about it at night. And I said, that's one of the stupidest things I ever heard. You're a born-again child of God, and you're staring at wickedness, and it's keeping you up at night? I said, don't that sound dumb to you? He said, well, I guess. I said, no, no, it's real dumb. It's really dumb. Why is evil upsetting God's people and keeping them up at night? Let's shift gears. Verse 17, until, I was fixing to shift gears. I went into the sanctuary of God. What did he say? I decided to quit. I decided to put the newspaper down. I decided to turn the TV off. I know into the sanctuary of God doesn't mean I went to chase it. I decided to go ask God to talk to me. I decided to hear what he's got to say about the situation. I went into the sanctuary of God. He said, I was so upset until I went and talked to God about things. I went in the sanctuary of God. Then I understood verse. What does then I understood mean? God gave me wisdom. I went and talked to God about life on this planet right now. And he showed me some things and it changed the way I see everything. Then I understood there what? What does end mean? Then I understood the long term. God shifted my gears and I got my eyes off what's going on right now. And I began to look down the road. And he told me, see, but get your eyes off this junk. Start looking down the road, son. And I saw, whose end is he talking about? Wickedness. He said, I saw the end of wickedness. And I began to think about what God said long term. And this is what it means to shift gears. Now, dear ones, let me tell you something. Obviously, that had to be by faith. Everything our Father shows us is faith. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When He shows you things, that's where your faith comes from. He said, I saw their end. Verse 18, surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are brought to desolation in a moment. You see the exclamation mark? Now he's feeling sorry for the people he was just envious of. Now he's feeling sorry for the people he was just mad at. What happened? What changed around him? Nothing. Something changed inside of him. He got his eyes right. 
he got his eyes off what's going on around him and he got his eyes and his vision on the word of God or the truth of God or the voice of God and he began to see things long term instead of just seeing what's going on on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. He began to see things long term. And uh, verse 21, thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. Watch what he said. I was so foolish and ignorant like a beast before. Now what's he doing? He's kicking himself for thinking that way. He's mad at himself. Why was I acting like that? Why was I wor- Why did I miss so much sleep? Why was I worried and jibber-jabbering about that mess? Now he's mad at himself because of the way he lived before. And he sees how foolish it was to be upset and bothered about what's going on around him. Now let's shift gears. Now what's his eyes? Now what's his foot? Verse 23. Nevertheless, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide my life with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Now he's gone from being upset. Now he's excited. Now he's praising God, thanking God for the goodness of the Lord in his life. Said, God's got his hand on me. My life's being directed by the Lord and my life's fixing to be real good one of these days. Can you see a total change in the way this man thought? Why? He got his life off, his eyes off what's going on today and he began to look up. I said, well, Brother Brian, the outlook ain't real good in this nation. I know that. Who gives a flying gnat's rear end? The uplook is great right now. People say, you know, Brother Brian, under the circumstances, what the heck are you doing under there? (laughs) The Bible didn't call you an undercomer. The Bible says we're more than undercomers. What are you doing under there? The Bible called us overcomers. What are you doing under anything if you're an overcomer? There was the holy, listen to me, it's in the head. It's the vision. And this man's vision got straightened out and he went from having a pity party to having a hallelujah throw down revival all by himself. Just went to celebrate. You notice nothing changed around him. The wicked didn't get saved and start acting right. He got his heart right, got his vision right. And this is the power of vision. This is the power when we get our eyes off the junk around us and get get them on the Jesus above us and on the promises of God where they're supposed to be. Now he's hollering and caring, having a grand time. Then he cuts loose and writes one of the, by the way, starting in verse 25 is one of the greatest contemporary Christian songs written. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's none upon earth I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart might fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Now he's writing songs of celebration. Just a few minutes ago, he was whining and moaning because the Democrats won all the offices. <laughs> or the Republicans, into whichever one. Uh, they ain't either one of them going to save this land. Can I get a witness? Amen. My God, have mercy. Now he's excited about what's going on instead of fussing about the mess that's around him anymore. <clears throat> and look at his final conclusion, verse 28. It is good for me to turn the TV off. It is good for me to cut the Facebook down. I think, well, actually what he said was, it is good for me to draw near to God. He said, I decided to turn off Facebook and open your book and look what it did for me. Instead of whining and moaning, I've had people say, doesn't it just tear you up what people say about you on Facebook? (laughs) Talking about me. I have never turned to Facebook on my life. What do you think I'm missing? I don't give a flying natural end what village boy 51773 who lives in his mama's basement has got to say about me. (laughs) I turn on the stinking Facebook when I can open God's book. I mean, if I wanted to get vomited on, I'd go to nursery over there. My God have mercy. I've decided I'm going to live on good news instead of garbage. You can't even get your own apartment. What you want to talk to me for? God have mercy. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. It is good for me to draw near to God. I put my trust in God that I may what? 
whine about how bad it is, declare all your works. Do you see the transformation that took place in this guy's life when he just turned his eyes in a different direction? I got news for you. There ain't nothing on this planet going to change. It's going to get worse till Jesus gets back. But there ain't nothing in heaven going to change and there ain't nothing in this word going to change. This word will outlast this earth. Can I get a witness? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't give a rip. It don't matter to me. what. I don't care if gas goes to $22 a gallon. Praise God, he who's paying for it at three will pay for it at 22. What do you reckon? <laughs> that is the power of a vision from despair and stress to celebration. Just because you get your eyes headed in the right direction. What a tremendous difference it makes. Now, I'm going to make an announcement. I asked a fellow one time, he was upset about stuff. I said, let me ask you a question. You run around on your wife. He was offended. I said, I just asked you if you did. I didn't say you did. Did you? He said, well, of course I don't. I said, how come? He said, what does the Bible say? I said, oh, so we want to talk about the Bible now, huh? I said, do you steal money from where you work? He said, oh, of course not. What kind of man do you think I am? I said, I'm, sorry. I'm asking these questions. I'm trying to find out. He said, okay. I said, well, he said, the Bible says so. I said, do you worry a lot? Yeah, he said, I'm busted, ain't I? I said, yeah, same Bible that says don't run around on your wife says don't worry. Why do you pick one and not pick? Which part? Have you got these Baptist scissors where you go cutting parts of the Bible? That was wrong with you. <laughs> Why is there stress today? Why is there? I, listen to me. If you don't believe in, you don't follow Jesus and you're stressed, look right here, look right here. You ain't stressed enough. You should stress more, Doc. You should stress bad if you ain't following Jesus these days and in the days coming. But if you're following Jesus, why are you stressed about anything? Okay, so his eyes not on the sparrow like he said it was anymore. All right, turn with me to Psalm 37. I'm going to show you something here. Psalm 37. All right, this will set you free for the rest of your life. Most of you don't need to be delivered from cocaine, I hope. Most of you should have got over that by now. Besides, you go running around steal somebody else's wife, you're going to find out the first one you had was better. You're going to wish you hadn't had the second one, then you can't trade them back. Then what? What are you going to do when you can't go back and the old shines through? What are you going to do then? They can't wait to kick you in the butt. Just stay home, Doc. <laughs> Just stay where you're at and be happy. My gosh, she probably ain't happy with you neither. Now it's even. <laughs> All right, Psalm 37 You'd be surprised how much the Bible talks about stress. It is the topic in the land today. We're being medicated for stress. We, now churches are offering classes for stress. You, you need a pill. If you've got stress, you need a pill, the gospel pill. How many of you know we need to take something for distress? <laughs> All right, this is the great psalm on stress and stress in the land because of what's going on. Do not fret because of evildoers. Now, you don't know what fret means. I mean, fret's on a guitar, but... Fred, here the Hebrew word is stress. Don't be stressed because of evil. What did the Bible tell you right there? You don't need to be stressed about evil in the land. Now listen to me, listen to me. I've talked about this for a lot of people. So Brother Brown, you can't help it. And I think, you, why do you even claim to be a believer? Because you're not a believer. Let me tell you, guess what believers do? So guess what believers do? They believe what God says. Listen, when I read something like this in the Bible, and it says, do not stress, be stressed about evil, don't be worried about anything. You know what? Instead of saying, well, that, you can't do that. that. That's unbelief. You know what you need to say? Praise God, I may not know how, but if he says it can happen, it can happen. You show me how and I'll never do it again long day of my life. 
That's called faith. Let me tell you, more, dear ones, listen to me. Listen to me. More than anything in this world, my Heavenly Father, he, He's not near as concerned about you trying not to smoke. Our Heavenly Father wants to be believed. He wants you to believe what He's got to say. That's why He didn't call His people non-smokers. That's why he didn't call his people non-drinkers, dry ones, old great dry ones. That's not what he called them. He called his people believers because believers should believe above everything else. You need to start believing what God says. How many of you know we need to get off our butt? I went to school to learn how to, to preach and be taught the Bible. One of the worst things ever happened to me because they, and all I got was a bunch of butt. <laughs> That didn't sound right, did it? <laughs> Here's what I mean. They would say, well, like, I know the Bible says this, but. I know the Bible says they will do this, but that passed away. I know Jesus said you can ask what you want, but. And all I got was a bunch of buts. Let me tell you something. There ain't no buts in the Bible. And we need to get off our butts. And we need to quit saying, I know it says it, but. We need to get off our butts. Can I get a witness? Amen. And we need to say, if the man said it, he meant it, and I believe it. We need to get back to believing. We need to get off this billy goat mess. Quit being a Baptist billy goat. But, 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 quit butting everybody and be a believer. <laughs> You're acting like a butt. <laughs> be a believer. I'm, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have got off into that, but comes the time you just got to say it. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. What's the difference? You know, in one, you're mad at them. The next, one wishing you got what they got. I think a lot of reason that preachers are so upset about people that drink and run around and whatnot, they don't get to. I don't think they're righteous. I just think they're envious of the workers of iniquity. They're wishing they could and they don't get to. So if I can't enjoy it, you can't either. So I'm going to fuss at you. Well, that's stupid. Don't be envious of the workers of iniquity. Watch this. They shall soon... Be cut down like the grass and withers the green herb. Let me tell you something. There ain't nothing unholy on this planet ain't fixing to get cut down and perish as the green herb. You say, you mean Saturday? I don't know. This is one of the great mysteries. Now, let me teach you something here, the difference between our thinking and heaven's thinking. You and I think linear one lifetime. See, 80 years is a long time to us. 80 years is that right there in heaven. You, you got to remember, our Heavenly Father don't think 80 years. This is the way we, th we think 120 years. Gosh, that's a long time. No, it's not. Second Peter says this, With the Lord, a day is as a thousand years. A thousand years is as one day. That tells you how he thinks. I mean, if he was eternal, you'd think like that. You, you, you know, we just cannot think with him, but we can believe him. Now, let me throw something out here. To don't try to think about this too much. It'll crack your egg. The Bible said, from eternity to eternity, thou art God. You know what that means? He always has been. He always will be. One of the greatest promises in the Bible in Psalm 103 says this, his love for you is from eternity to eternity. He was loving you from eternity. Now you can't, our human minds can't compute eternity. Let, let's try for a second. So how long has God been alive? Well, how far can you go back? Well, 50 billion years. What's on the other side of that? 
you know, scientists got, they got these computers now that'll do all these zeros. I don't mean how, I can't even use the words, but it goes so far back in time. Let me ask you a question. Where that line is, as far back as the computers can go, what was right on the other side of that? He was there before that. He loved you before that. You say, I, I, that's too big for me. Yeah, but I can believe it. We well, see the Bible, we think in terms of 80 years, 120 years, 40 years. Dear ones, if, if a thousand years is like a day to you, what would 80 years be? I didn't even have a breath hardly. So we got to think, think like he thinks as best we can in this thing. The Bible said they shall soon be cut down. See, we're, we're so upset and bothered by what's going on. He's watching this thing and said, what are y'all so upset about? I'm fixing to bring the whole thing to nothing. I'm fixing to cut this whole thing down. And we need to think in terms of that, temporary. All right? <clears throat> now, all right, if I can't be upset about evil, what am I supposed to do with my life? Good gosh, Brother Brown, I'd have plenty of free time if I quit worrying. Well, here we go. Verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land on feet on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Sounded to me like somebody's having a party right in the middle of a bad land, doesn't it? The Bible said this. Put your trust in the Lord and go do what you know to do. Live your life. Do good. Love people. Look after people. Feed the birds. Wash your car. Wash your underwear. Have a life, Doc. Quit worrying about what them other people's doing. Dwell in the land and feed on what? Feed on Facebook. Feed on, feed on news. Feed on His faithfulness. Dear ones, His faithfulness is your food. You need to hear what the man's got to say. I want you to watch these words with me. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. You listen to me. That is in effect. I don't care what's going on outside of my house. That's what's going to be going on in my house. There is nothing an evil society can do that can stop him from blessing me where I live. I couldn't care less what they do in Washington or any place else. I mean, they, they can put Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in the White House for all I care. Heck, I'm doing a better job than what we got there. For all I care, it wouldn't make no difference to me. Let me tell you something. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord and celebrate his goodness, and we're going to have a grand time. What's the Bible saying right here? Don't tell me that you got to have everybody do what you want them to do before you can celebrate the goodness of God. Just have your one-man party if nobody else will cooperate. All right. The Bible says feed on his faithfulness. Now, verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord and trust him. You let me tell you something. If I've committed my life and my family and my future to him, every devil in hell, no politician, no neighbor can screw anything up. His hand is on my life. We've got to get back to the Lord reigns in the affairs of men. And he runs the show. And this is, this is the settling peace in our lives. Trust him. He'll bring it to pass. All right. Verse 7. What does rest in the Lord mean? Wait patient. What does that mean? Turn your motor off. There is a place of rest. Rest means quit fussing and arguing about it. Quit worrying about it. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. You cannot have peace and fretting at the same time. You can't enjoy your life and be upset at the same time. And you can see clearly from Scripture, he didn't want you doing that. Now, watch this. Not only should you not do it, watch this. Verse 8, cease from anger. Entire Christian movements, they've been driven by anger. A guy named Todd Starnes, I hope this don't offend you. If it does, be offended. A guy named Todd Starnes, so be this Christian guy running around on the news and whatnot. He lives his life making people angry. All he does, just this will make folks angry. This will make Christians angry. This will make Christians angry. He's making himself rich, making Christians angry about stuff. What does the Bible say right there? Cease from anger. Quit being angry. 
Forsake wrath. Quit being upset. Get out of that stuff. Watch this. <clears throat> Go back to verse 8. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Do not fret. <laughs> Do not be upset. It only causes harm. What's the only thing you being bothered can do? Listen to me. You're not changing the world by your upset. So, Brother Brian, we got to straighten America out. Well, why don't you get upset about it and see if that helps? What does that say? You ain't doing a thing but hurting yourself. Not only does the Bible tell me that if I'm stressed and upset and worried that it causes harm. Dear ones, listen to me. The American Medical Association is saying it now. Stress, the number one contributor now to high blood pressure. You want high blood pressure? And you want to be, you want diabetes. I don't think it causes diabetes. You want ulcers and mess like that. There was our bodies were not designed to live under stress. God created these bodies to live at rest and at peace and in joy. We were designed to live with three things: love, joy, and peace. We we that's the incubator or the greenhouse that we thrive in. And the Bible said, quit being upset, you ain't doing no good anyway. It only causes harm. <clears throat> and then he gives you a reason. He said, now, here's the reason, verse 9. Evildoers are going to be cut off. What did he tell you? Take the long-term view. Look down the road, verse 9. Evildoers are going to be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, I'm going to give them the whole earth. What is the future of that man? Right, let's, let's cut through for a little bit. I want you to see. Uh, look with me in verse 12. The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. Is that not going on in our land today? Right, Romans chapter 1 said this. We will reach a place in the nation where people will not only not know right from wrong and will not love justice anymore, but they will despise, I'm quoting Romans 1, they will become despisers of those who want to do good. They'll actually hate goodness in the land. Look right here. Big flipping deal. Let them despise whatever they want to. I saw it was coming. The Bible said this, the wicked plots against the just. How many of you, now, let me question. All the, right now, we got the wicked breathing down the throats of God's people. I mean, they're just carrying on and ugly about it. How many of you think the Lord's nervous in heaven? How many of you think he's asking Gabriel to bring him a Sprite? How many of you think he's got high blood pressure? Do you think the king's got high blood pressure over what's going on? Look right here. What you think he's doing right now? He's laughing about it. Read it. Look at me in Psalm, look in verse 12. The wicked plots against the just, gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord, what? Lord, what? The Lord's laughing right now. He said, Brother Brian, how can you be so happy with this evil going? Let me make it, let me tell you something. If my Heavenly Father's laughing, I'm laughing with him. If he's going to laugh about this mess, I'm going to laugh too. But listen, well, I'm going to show you the picture here in a minute. The Lord laughs at him. Why is God laughing at wickedness? He sees that his day is coming. Because our Heavenly Father takes the long-term view. Remember, a day's like a thousand years to him. He's not looking at it right now. He's looking down the road. And maybe know he's not threatened. And maybe know he's not scared that somebody from Iran's going to go knock him off his throne. All right, let me, let me uh, while we're here, let me show you one of the greatest. Turn me to Psalm chapter 2. Let's look over it real quick. I just want you to show what, I want you to see what's going on in heaven. Now, there was, I'll show you these things to show you that what's going on in the earth has been written in the Bible for years. Everything's going just like he said it would. I'm beginning to think the only thing that's not going right in the earth right now is the believers. They're supposed to be hollering and screaming, being the light of the word and celebrating his goodness, and they're acting more like thermostat, I mean thermometers, telling everybody what's going on. All right, Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a foolish plan? Let me make an announcement. The plans of the people are foolish. 
unless the Lord raises them up. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their cords from us. What does that mean? The rulers of this earth have gotten together and said, let's tell God he ain't telling us what to do anymore. Does that know what's happened in our nation? We've thrown God out of the nation. We're not the only nation. They've cast off our cords. The Bible said this would come. And the Bible said in verse 4, he who sits in the heavens is going to laugh at them. He's not upset. He's laughing about this thing. He holds them in derision. He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Let me make an announcement concerning the future. Verse 6, I've set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I begotten me. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. The ends of the earth is your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. You ask me, say, Brother Mike, what do you think is coming in the future? Jesus is going to take over this earth and he's going to run it like he wants to by force. That's the future. It's going to get a little rough before he gets here. Matter of fact, those of you who've been to Jerusalem, I had a daughter that lived about 15 miles from the place where Jesus is going to touch down from the city of Jerusalem, old Jerusalem there for years. She lived about 15 miles from it. I can take you, I can show you the place where his feet are going to touch down. And this stuff's going to go, and all of a sudden the Bible said Jesus is coming back. And what's he going to do? God's going to give him the nations, and they're going to rest on his shoulder, and his government will reign forever. What does it mean he'll rule them with a rod of iron? He came the first time as a humble, meek, mild man to die for the sins of the world and invite people to follow him. When he comes back a second time, he ain't coming humble a second time. He, he, he's not coming back gentle the second time. He's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah to rule with a rod of iron. He has installed his king on his holy hill. So who do you think is going to win the next election? I'm waiting for the big prime minister to show up is what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> All right, I'm going to paint a picture for you. Let me show you what's going on on the earth. They get this picture right here. I love lions. You know, lions are called the king of the jungle. And the mighty lion, they, there's, I've watched, I love watching hunting videos. Of the, I got a friend that hunted lions over there for a while. He's a doctor and uh, he's retired in Boone now. And lions, let me make an announcement. Lions are dangerous. Don't screw with the lion. I mean, in them cages in a zoo, you know, those are semi-lions or whatever. But I'm talking about real lions in the wild. Them suckers are fast. I mean, they move too. Now, I want you to just imagine the king of the jungle, the mighty lion, which is 600 pounds of pure muscle. He's standing there. And up to him waddles a fat little field rat. <laughs> and this little field rat, he waddles up to this mighty lion with his little fat self, puts one hand on his hip, and just gives that lion the finger. Looks straight up at him, just gives him the finger. <laughs> and just defies him and just dares him to do something about it. How many of you are nervous for the lion? How many of you wringing your hand saying, poor lion, that field rat fixing to jump him? <laughs> Guess what? That's, that lion's not even offended. That, that, that lion's not scared. You know what that lion does? He just smiles. He just grins at him because he knows. See right there where that fat little field rat's standing? They're fixing to be a greasy spot in the road right there. <laughs> That's the picture Psalm 2 paints. All these mighty voices today putting their fist in God's face in our universities. From their thrones and across this land, it's a field rat giving the finger to the king of the jungle. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. See, you say, where do you get this stuff from? I'm not looking at today's newspaper. I'm looking at tomorrow's news in the Bible. Faith takes the long-term view. Now, I'll be honest with you, that little field rat, 
I feel sorry for him. He's fixing to feel right no more. <laughs> I maybe think the lion might win. They make an announcement. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the Bible calls him that. And let me make an announcement. If you ain't on his side right now, you'd feel right. So I ain't got nothing against Jesus. Well, you listen to what Jesus had to say about that. He who is not with me is against me. Don't give the finger to the king of the jungle, the lion of the tribe of Judah. You need to be getting on this train. It's fixing to roll through the gate out here. The Bible said he'll laugh at them. He'll break them in pieces like a rod of iron. Verse 10, therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Verse 12, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. Let me make an announcement. You don't need to be nervous. You don't need to be upset. You just, make sure, you just need to make sure you got the right jersey on when the game ends. You need to make sure you're on the right man's team. There ain't but one thing matters right now, and that's being on the right man's team. You know what this is called right here? This is a life of faith. This is the power of vision. It changes the way you see everything. When your eyes are on the Word of God instead of what's going on around you, when you have a long-term view like a wise man instead of a short-term view. Let's look at another one more scripture. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where the Bible talks about living by faith. I'm going to make an announcement. Faith is so much more fun than going up and opening the window and seeing what's going on around you out there. It is so, much, it is so wonderful to live by faith in God's Word and what the Spirit of God is saying right now than to wonder what's going on around you and living by how you feel. This is one of the strangest verses in the Bible. It's a little bit unusual. <clears throat> Matter of fact, you've got to have spiritual understanding to understand this verse. Let me throw one in before we get here in 2 Corinthians 4. The Bible is talking about uh, our life. This is our life. If you're a believer, a true faith believer, this is your life right here, verse 8. It says this. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. What does that say right there? Say, Brother Brian, do you understand what's going on? Heck no. I'm confused as a termite and a yo-yo when I listen to experts talk today. I don't think it's that I'm done. I just think they don't know what they're talking about. You know what perplex means? Perplex means I don't have a clue what's going on out there. You know what despair means? But I'm not bothered by it. I'm not in despair. I'm celebrating and praising God. You know why? My trust is in the Lord God Almighty alone. I don't have to figure life out to enjoy it. God, that's good right there. I don't have to understand anything to celebrate his goodness. Now, here's why. Verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. So much in the Bible about discouragement. Lose heart means be discouraged. Let me make an announcement. Our outward man is perishing. Can I get a witness? Well, if I can't get one from you, look up here. Our outward man is perishing, but the inward man's doing what? He's getting renewed and getting stronger every day. All right, listen to me. You've got an outward man, you've got an inward man. What's your outward man? That's your body. That's your outward man. You've got an inward man. That's your spirit. Now, let me make another. You say, where's my spirit at? Is my spirit right here? I think your spirit's just as big as your body is. I think your spirit man is called a man. There's three words in the Bible that mean the same thing. Heart, spirit, pneuma, uh, and, and uh, inner man, inner man. And this talks about your inner man, your spirit man. Right, let, me, let, me, let me show you why I think that your spirit man looks just like your body and is the same size as your body. Do you remember in Acts uh, chapter 11 when Simon was locked in jail and he was going to be killed the next morning? And the Bible said the disciples got together at a, a lady's house. Her name was Rhoda. And they're praying for him. And the Bible said an angel went into the prison cell and the angel opened the doors. And um, 
said Simon's chains fell off and the angel hit him because he was asleep or said he smote him. That means he smacked him. Ain't that something? You're fixing to be executed in the morning. You got such peace. You're just dead asleep. The angel got to hit you to wake you up. So except an angel said to him, put your shoes on. I'd say, you can open doors and fall off chains and you can't put my shoes on. Let me make an announcement. There's some things God will do for you. There's some things he expects you to do for yourself. He ain't going to do for you what you can do for yourself. Just thought I'd do that for free. He said, get up and follow me. So he puts his shoes on, his coat, and he follows him. And Peter finds himself outside the prison. He's free. The angel came and set him free. So he goes over. He knocks at the door on Rhoda's house and said the servant girl came out and she looked and saw him, but she thought it was his spirit. She didn't think it was the real Simon. She thought it was his spirit. She went back and told him, said, Simon, spirit's out there outside the door. And they said, well, why didn't you tell him to come in? She said, oh, yeah. So she went back out there. So that tells me that your spirit probably looks just like your inner man. I mean, you're real outside. you got a man inside of here. Now, I want to make an announcement. Our outward man is doing what? If you're 32 years old or older, your out man, outward man is doing what? Say, so you thought it was 40. i got news for you, Doc. The peak of the human body is about 21, 22 to about 32. I can bear witness. And then at 32 to 35, physiology, so we start a downward progression. Your outward man starts decaying. Well, decaying makes things like you'd smell. It wouldn't. It just, it, we start getting old. This body wasn't designed to last forever. Let me make an announcement. I'm 64. Mine's perished pretty good from what it used to be. A whole lot of my body's done like them snowbirds. It went south. It used to be up here on my shoulders at one time. It's going down here now. <clears throat> I got news for some of you young girls that are so proud. Gravity, Father Gravity going to grab hold of you one of these days. <laughs> gravity going to be ugly to you. <laughs> so you better enjoy it while you got it, where it is. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get off on that. All right. So, yeah, listen, our outward man, we knew our outward man was perishing. But what does the Bible say about my inward man? He gets stronger every day. He's getting stronger and stronger. The outward man's going in the grave one day. My inner man's going to live forever. My inner man's my intellect, my personality, my spirit, my soul, my emotions. That part of me is going to live forever. I'm going to shuck this thing and get me a brand new one. I'm going to get me a new body one of these days. It's going to be different. It's going to be more of it going to be up here than it is down there. That's why you get to heaven. Nobody's over 30 years old in heaven. You know what? The aging process came in because of sin. We weren't supposed to grow old. We were supposed to stay young forever, but we sinned. That's when the aging process came in. That's why your grandma won't have white hair in heaven. She'll have black hair, brown hair, blonde hair, whatever she has when she's young. And you, some of you will too. I'll have hair, period. That'd be good when we get there, won't it? It'd be wonderful. <laughs> well, the deal is that inward man's going to be strong and it's going to survive there forever. It's like that fellow in the cemetery, my first church, Mr. Pease, he died and his wife put on his tombstone and said, this ain't Pease, this is just the pod. Pease shelled out and went to God, which is what happens with this thing right here. You know, we're going to leave our body behind one day, but your inner man's getting renewed day by day. Now, dear ones, we're getting old, we decay. Now, if you're 18, you still got some years to go. Relax a little bit. If you're 88, you better get on the train, Bubba. All right, verse 16, verse 17. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. A moment. I've been putting up this crap for years. Wait a minute. You got to think like he thinks. A day's like a thousand years. It's just a moment. It's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. You know, verse 17 tells me when we all get to heaven and we look back on this, we're going to say, that wasn't nothing. That wasn't nothing compared to what Jesus has given me here. Our temporary junk we're going through is working for us an exceeding eternal weight of glory. Now, let me tell you how this works. Verse 18 is the key verse. While we do not focus 
or look at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. Because the things that are seen are temporary. The things that are not seen are eternal. Get it? You keep your eyes on the stuff you can see, the news, the people, stuff like that. That's temporary. It's not, listen, there's no such thing. So if you ever get out in the real world, get out of that Christian world, get in the real world. Who told you that evil was the real world? It's not real world, false world. It's temporary world, eternal world. There's two worlds. And we, look, we don't spend our lives focused on the temporary world. All this stuff's fixing to pass away, dear ones. This stuff's going to be like smoke and gone. Temporary. What is our focus on? The eternal stuff that's going to last forever. So you just, that means we're going to wait till we get to heaven. I'm working on eternal stuff full time right now. There's eternal stuff right now that's going to last forever. And that's what we want to live for. Let me cap this off and let's put this in a language you can understand. What's America's great folly right now? What's our great sin right now? We're living for the moment. In our land, we live for the moment. We live for the moment spiritually. We don't have it. We've lost our long-range vision in this nation. Our founding fathers, they wrote, they founded this nation with hundreds of years in the future in their minds. People years ago lived looking down the road. We live for the moment now. Instead of looking down the road, uh, Spiritually, relationally, we live for today. Financially, we are fools in this nation. We're living for right now. We haven't thought about down the road financially, not only as a government, but as individuals. We're not looking down the road. We're not even thinking about down the road physically. That pie going to make you die. Talk to me. (laughs) Tell me what limited wisdom is. Here's wisdom. Live your life thinking long range. That doesn't mean you think about heaven all the time. Just live your life wise thinking about down the road. And let me suggest four areas. Number one, spiritually. Jesus said this, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul because he don't know me? You know, the number one thing I work on in my life every day, number one, it's not my physical, it's my personal relationship with the Son of God. I'm going to spend eternity with him. I want to be the friend of Jesus. And I want our friendship to grow. And I'm going to spend time talking to him. We're going to laugh together. We're going to celebrate together. I'm going to find out about it. I tell him every day, teach me more about you. I don't mean facts. I mean, let me know you. I work on my personal relationship with Jesus because that's the eternalist, if that's a word, thing in my life. I want to have that relationship built with Jesus. Number two, work on relationships. I saw a bumper sticker sometime back. You tell me if you think this was dumb. said this, he who dies with the most toys wins. What do you think about that? That's America right there. Let me make an announcement. He who dies with the most toys is dead. Do you really think accumulating toys that are going to be broken in a few days, you think that's what life's all about? Let me rewrite that for you from this book right here. He who dies with the most friends wins. And one of them better be Jesus. Let me tell you what I'm working on in my life. I work on my relationship with Jesus. And then on relationship, listen, relationship's the most important thing in the world, dear ones. Ecclesiastes 9.9 says this, Live joyfully, young man, with the wife whom you love all the days of your life. I work on my marriage every day of my life. I'm not just, come on, woman, let's go to Walmart. We work on that thing. I work, we worked on it to get there, didn't we, boys? Say amen to me. She wouldn't have married you if you didn't put out some effort. We worked on it in the early days. Why don't you work on it in the latter days? I want us to have the greatest marriage on earth. Well, listen, all the money in the world can't buy a good marriage. This is eternal stuff. Listen, we're gonna, she's saved. My wife's saved. We're going to be together for eternity. 
One of her favorite verses is, they shall, never, they not, shall not marry or be married in heaven. I said, wait a minute. I said, they're going to work something out for us. We would be best friends forever in heaven. I said, what if we live in the same mansion? I may think that'd be good right there. Actually, we got a double wide on the hillside. We're going to share that thing in half a grand time. <laughs> More important than anything on this earth, listen, that's not the accumulation of junk. My relationship with my children is I work on it every day. The friends that I've got, I work on those relationships. This is eternal stuff right here. This is what I want to work on is relational stuff. And uh, let me mention one more here. What about your life purpose and your work? What are you doing in life? What are you doing with your life? So, brother, I'm just waiting to go to heaven. You better be doing something. Then once God has invested something in you, and let me make an announcement. You're going to have to stand in front of him one of these days. Now, if you're, if you're a believer, if you're saved, you're not going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. You're not going to be at that great judgment. That's to decide whether, whether you're going to go to heaven. You've already decided that, but we shall, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an accounting for what we did in our body. You're going to have to explain your life to him. You're going to have to explain what you did with your life. What are you going to tell him? He said, Brother Ben, I, I ain't thought about it much. A wise man ponders his feet and looks down the road. I think I got to stand in front of Jesus one of these days. And I'm going to stand there in front of him and I got to tell him, he's going to say, I gave you life, son. I gave you gifts. I gave you opportunities, open doors for you. Tell me what you did with them. Is this in the Bible? Remember the stories of he gave, some he gave five, some he gave two, some he gave one. He returned, he said, tell me what you've done with what I gave you. We're going to give an account for what we did with our lives. He said, well, I, I, I watched a lot of movies. Uh, I ate a lot of fish. I ate a lot of cheeseburgers. Then I watched some more movies. I mean, listen to me. We're not talking about singing in the choir if you don't want to sing. You need to do something with your life. He gave you your life. You need to do something with it. And, and we need to think about this. What am I going to do with my life that I can stand and, and have a, a life I can live for? Now, listen to me carefully. We're going to give an account of our lives to him. Uh, the Bible is very clear in many places. 1 Corinthians 3 says salvation is a gift. But what are you going to do with your life after you get saved? So I went to church. He's going to say, and? You know, he expects a return on what he's invested in us. Now, listen to what I'm fixing to teach here. This is a little different take. A lot of preachers, I disagree with them on this. When we stand in front of Jesus... We're not going to be troubled about our mistakes and failures. He forgives them. The Bible said this. I'm not, I've had preachers. My God preachers don't know the Bible today. I've had preachers. Don't you know when you stand in front of God, they're going to show a movie of your life, every ugly thing you ever did. Number one, who in heaven wants to watch that? Let's all go over and watch his life movie. Let's go watch that. My goodness. Preachers are dumb. The Bible says he's not going to show anything, any mistake you made. What do you think it means in Hebrews 8 and 10? Their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. He separated them as far as the east is from the west. The blood of Jesus will take care of your mistakes. The question is, what did you build? What did you do? And let me tell you what I believe our one great regret in heaven is going to be. It's not because we screwed up. I'm, I hold the world's record for screwing up. I'm waiting on somebody to say amen. All right, you, you, you second place to so Relax. I've screwed up. It's not how many mistakes you made. That's under the blood of Jesus. It's what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with your life? Now listen to me. Different people have different opportunities. I'll never match Billy Graham. You might, you might never match me. He gave some five talents. He gave some two talents. He gave some one talent. He's given people different opportunities. The question is not will you match somebody else. The question is what are you going to do with what he gave you to do? What are you going to do with what he gave you to do? 
And uh, let me tell you what I'm convinced our great, the great regret of heaven is going to be right here. One of the greatest movie lines ever in a movie. And I've, I've contemplated this many a time. Katie and I was watching, you know, Kevin Sorbo is, he's an actor. And he made, he made a movie called What If? And I'm uh, watching this movie. He's a star in it. I don't know if he made it or not, but he's a star in it. And uh, this guy was a high-flying, high-powered investment banker. I mean, he was successful at the top. And all of a sudden, God stepped into his life and sent an angel. And it's hilarious because John Ratzenberger was the angel. And he's the last person on earth you'd ever think of as an angel, fat, grumpy angel. Sends an angel into his life and takes him back to this young man and says to him, you chose to follow your plan for your life instead of my plan. I'm going to show you what would happen if you have followed my plan. Now, none of us can do that on this earth. But in this movie, it's a great movie. You need to show it to your kids. And he said he took him back, and he, all of a sudden he wakes up in this other life he'd have had if he'd have followed God. Because there came a place in his life as a young man had to make a decision. You're going to follow God's plan for your life, you're going to follow your plan. He wasn't bad. He just chose to do what he wanted to do instead of what God wanted him to do. And all of a sudden he wakes up, and he's in God's plan for his life. And that's his wife right there. That was the woman God wanted him to marry. That's his youngin' right there. That's his teenage daughter right there, and that ain't good. And he wakes up in this life that's God's will for him. And he's not a multi-millionaire anymore. He's a preacher, of, a little country preacher of a pathetic little church. I mean, it's pathetic. Worse than anything I ever pastored. And, and he's, uh, he's so poor, he can't pay attention. You know, he's just barely got enough money to eat off of. And life's tough, and he's going through the grind. And he's, he's, this, he's just going, where am I at? What am I doing? And he's stuck in the middle of this mess here. And here's what he discovers. What are you doing to me? And you know what he finds out? If I'd have followed God's plan for my life, I wouldn't have been a multimillionaire. I'd have struggled for money, but I'd have had real love. I'd have had real relationships. I'd have had real meaning in my life. I'd have changed people's lives if I'd have done this instead of just consuming goods. And he found out this, did, this looked great, this looked terrible, but this was the life right here. Great movie to watch. But there's a line in that movie I've contemplated a lot. He's, he's this high-powered executive. He's sitting in a boardroom, and he's, he's, he's a little on the confident side, which is a nice way of saying he was cocky. And he was the superstar of this great big company. And there's a little, another guy in the company. He's jealous of him because he does so good. And he lays these plans out. And the guy's just, everybody's just stunned. And the guy looks at me and says, who do you think you are, Julius Caesar? Sorbo looks at him and he humbly says, no. He looks at me and says, he didn't think big enough. I thought, yeah, I like that right there. Demons, let me tell you something. I'm convinced. I've prayed about that many a time. We get to heaven. You're not going to have your life reviewed for all your sins. That's covered. You know what we're going to say? I didn't think big enough. I didn't think big enough. I just wanted to get by when the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Moses was my father. The creator of the universe who hung the stars in space told me to work with him and ask me to help him. I didn't think big enough. All right, let me tell you something. Forget the past. I don't care if you're as old as I am. Forget the past. Past is gone. You can't do anything about the past. How about making him the Lord of what's left? Let me tell you one of the great parables in the Bible, one of the great truths in the Bible. Jesus said this. A man had two sons. He said to one, son, go work in my vineyard. Follow me. He said, I'll do it, sir. But he never went. The second, he said, son, go work in my vineyard. He said, I'm not going to. The later he regretted it, and he went. And then Jesus said, who did the will of the Father? Guess who did the will of the Father? 
The one who decided, I don't care how late it is in life, I'm going to get up and go. He said, the one who regretted it went. Listen to me. Think long range. Think down the road. Don't do anything in fear. But I want you to do this. Start thinking bigger. Think big. Just think, so what, what could I do? And look up and say, what, what could one man do? It was Moses stuttered. And he told him to go talk to the most powerful man on earth. He was 80 years old. A convict on the run and a stutterer. God told him, go build a nation and deliver 2 million people. That's, that's, ain't that the same God you got? He told a redneck, uneducated, ignorant fisherman, go change the world. And by the way, write the Bible while you're at it too. Write the number one all-time best-selling book in world history, fisherman. Ain't that the God you got? He told Gideon, go whoop 150,000 enemies. Gideon said, I ain't got but 30,000 on my side. God said, you're right, that's too many. He said, send 23,000 of them home. What? He said, yeah, that's too many. Send 23,000 home. And he said, now I got to go whoop 150,000. I ain't got but 7,000. God said, yeah, you're right, that's too many. He said, take them down to get some water. Those that drink like a dog, send them home too. He sent 6,700 more home. He went back, he said, sir, don't mean to be telling you how to run your business, but I'm down to 300 men. And you want me to go whoop 150,000? God said, that, that's about right. That's what I want right there. He said, you do what I tell you to do. Does anybody know the rest of the story? That man in a simple act of faith, he whooped 150,000 warriors with 300 men and they didn't take a single weapon with them. They took trumpets and clay pots. That's the same God you got. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He told Joshua to take a bunch of old women, <laughs> a bunch of youngins, and a bunch of goofball men and said, go knock over the most powerful fortress in the world. And he said, how do I do that? He said, holler at it. Just holler at it. But before you do, march around it seven times. I want them to see what's coming out there. They marched around them seven times, and them fellas in the armories up there is looking down thinking, why are these old women, why are old women walking around my city like this out here? What are they doing? And for seven days they did it. On the seventh day, they marched around it seven times. They thought, what's that old woman doing out there? And all of a sudden she goes, ah! <laughs> Whole thing collapsed, killed every one of them. That's the same God. You can, I need to stand up here and tell you story after story from this book, which is given to show you the God you serve. I'm convinced we're going to get to glory and say, I didn't think big enough. I should have thought big enough. Let me ask you a question. What could happen? We, instead of thinking this world's so terrible, we need to be thinking, what could I do? What could this great God do if I would team up with him and I decided to change the world? And while you're at it, if you're going to do it, might as well go big. Go big or go home. I mean, if you can't run with the big dogs in the Bible, just stay under the porch on the trailer. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> All right, we got to quit. Let me tell you something. Get you a long-range view. Faith begins to think down the road somewhere. Faith doesn't look at what's going on today. Faith doesn't look at itself. Faith looks at the God of heaven and his word, and that's what dictates his life. You ought to come out of the bedroom hollering every morning. Let's practice. Come on, let's practice together. Ah! Well, see, hallelujah would be more torted or whatever like that. I never walk out of my bedroom early in the morning wait before the sun comes up unless I'm singing when I walk out. I've never, if I ever do forget, I'm going to go back in, get in the bed, and start back over again, come back out screaming. You know, that's what the Word of God says. All right, I got, I got to quit. I got to pray for you. Lord Jesus, I want to praise you and thank you. Your Word is so wonderful. Your truth is so good. Are you still the same you were? 
When did this great God of heaven and this great faith of the Bible that took common rejects, ordinary men like Moses, David, the littlest of his family, his brothers made fun of him for being such a runt. Gideon, who said he was the smallest of the smallest family. You just took ordinary people like that, convicts, Rahab the harlot, redneck fishermen, and you changed world history with these people. Well, your word said in James, well, aren't we just like them? Was not Elijah a man like you are? Well, Jesus, who are we? Who are these people in front of me tonight? I pray in Jesus' name they'll take the long, that we'll take the long-term view. Quit fretting and carrying on and whining about what's going on in the earth and saying, yeah, looks like a great big giant out there. Let's whoop it. What can we have an impact in this earth? I want to praise you and thank you, Father. Right now, this moment in history, more is at stake for eternity than any time in world history. More people alive on this planet right now. Less laborers in the field than have ever been. And I pray to you, I'm just one guy and I'm an old man now. I'm not as old as Moses was. Don't forget that, sir. But here, I'm just one guy in a little crossroads in some place called North Carolina. I, in Jesus' name, give me the world. You said you'd ask for the nations. Give the nations to your son. Give me the internet and send me all over the world. Do something big in this lifetime. I pray that for every person out here. Whether their dream is to take four or five boys, like a fellow told me recently, take four or five boys and care for them because they don't have a father and become a father to those boys. That's an eternal dream. That's big stuff right there. Whatever it is, put a dream in people's hearts. And instead of sitting around thinking about what the president said and what some girl on TV said, why don't we think about what you say? and dream about what you can do in this earth. Father, there has never been more at stake than is right now. You told us, said, lift up your eyes unto the fields that are white into harvest and pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest because the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Very few people want to be a part of what you're doing in the earth. I guess you'll just have to use a few to do more then. But I just like the prophet, here am I, send me. And I'm going to give you them too because they're mine. Here are they, send them. Anything, I don't care if it's right here in Nigeria, it don't matter to me. I pray that we would think bigger, that we would dream dreams worthy of heaven, worthy of Jesus. I trust you for that. Heavenly Father, when we started that school over there, I didn't see a little old tiny school using some Sunday class school classrooms. I saw halls filled with 15, 16-year-old kids walking in faith. Father, I remember the first time I ever went out to live in free. I didn't see that little white house out there. I saw a city on a hillside. I pray in Jesus' name that people will quit living for cheeseburgers and movies. Nothing wrong with them. But we would live for something more and lift up our eyes and quit fretting about what's going on in the land. And as the prophet said, then I went into the house of God. I went into the temple of God. I heard God and now I see things different and I rejoice. I trust you for that. Make that in this house. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.